We are walking through the book of 2 Thessalonians, so we're just taking it verse by verse. We've been through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and uh, 2 Thessalonians was written about six months after 1 Thessalonians. What happened is Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, they dropped off the letters, the people came back and said, hey, uh, here's some issues that you need to talk about. And so Paul writes 2 Thessalonians to clear up some things. One of the things that they were struggling with was this. There was a lot of persecution. People were dying. People were getting in prison. People were going through difficult times. And they thought, hey, it's the end of the world. Um, the Lord's come back. He's judging us. And we're going through all this. And Paul writes to clear up a number of things. And we've talked about in chapter 1, he helped explain. He said, no, judgment is coming. But judgment is coming to those who believe Satan's lie, not those who are following God. And he explains to them that it's completely different for, for followers of Christ. And so Paul spends chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 explaining that. We now get to chapter, at the end of chapter 2, where Paul's going to kind of go into a little more detail. The first part of chapter 2 is more about people who believe Satan's lie, or unbelievers, people who, have, who will not follow Christ. The end of chapter 2 is about people who do follow Christ. And so this is written to those of you who have put your faith and trust in Christ, just like those who had put their faith and trust in Christ in that little city of Thessalonica. So, with that in mind, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll just start in verse 13. Here's what he says. He starts with it by saying this. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. So Paul said, look, I'm praying for you. I am so thankful that you guys are up there and, and you've put your faith and trust in Christ and you're trying to do what's right. And then notice what he says. Brethren beloved by the Lord. First thing he says is you need to know that God loves you. And this is written in such a way in the Greek language, in the original language that it was written in, it meant that God has loved you and God continues to love you. God, just because you're going through a tough time doesn't mean God doesn't love you. And he says, you are beloved, brethren. You are loved by God. And then he goes on. Because God from the beginning chose you. So he said, not only... Are you loved, but you are chosen by God from the beginning for salvation through sanctification. Sanctification is a big fancy word. It means you've been set apart. So Paul said, look, you need to understand right off the bat, you put your faith and trust in Christ. You are loved of God. You are chosen by God. You are set apart by God. And then he goes on through sanctification by the spirit and belief in truth to which he called you by our gospel. You've been called by God. So he goes, you're loved, you're chosen, you're set apart, you're called, and then notice what he says at the end. For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to glorify himself in your life. So Paul, right off the bat, he goes, you want to know? He said, I know you're going through a hard time up there, guys. I know it's tough, but you need to know a couple of things. God loves you. God chose you. God set you apart. Um, God took and... He called you, and God also is going to be glorified in your life. That's why you're going through some of the tough times. And Paul, right off the bat, throws this out there. Now, <clears throat> i got to talk about it because it's here, okay? So, some of you are not Christians. Some of you are new to Christianity, okay? I'm going to take about three to four minutes, and I'm going to go into a theology a graduate theology course for about three or four minutes, okay? And then we're going to come back to stuff that we really understand, all right? 
this little thing right here God chose you from the beginning ends up becoming a big issue. Okay? Because there are, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about how we got saved. We're talking about what God does in salvation. And there are two realms in theology. There are two main groups that tend to focus on, and in theology. Here's what happens in theology. In theology, we take all of the doctrines of the Bible and we put them in neat little boxes and tie little bows on them so we can understand them. So when we get the issue of salvation, here's a question. Do you focus on God's part of salvation or do you focus on man's part of salvation? And so there are two big realms of thought. One group likes to focus on God's part in salvation. So they love this verse. Because this verse says God chose you. So they focus on God's part of it. And they say, you need to know, God chose you. So God decided who was going to be saved. Some people go so far as to say, now again, these are extreme, extreme people, God chose who was going to be saved and who was going to be lost. Now that's... In my opinion, that's like crazy world. But that's where they go. They say, we believe God chose. Now, hang with me for the whole time. Here's the thing. There's an element in which they're right, because the Bible teaches God chooses. Okay? <clears throat> There's another group. They focus on man's part of salvation and the fact that we have to accept Christ. And so in their world, they focus on the idea of we've got to share the gospel with everybody. And you know what? They're right. And people have to accept Christ. But here's the thing. They go way out in the extreme and they say, it's my responsibility to get everybody saved. And sometimes these people can become incredibly pushy. And they don't just tell you the gospel. They shove the gospel down your throat. And they try to choke you on it. And so they continually, they're just, I'm trying to be nice. They're obnoxious. Okay. Because they believe that it's their job to get everybody saved. These people over here believe God's going to save whoever he's going to save. So these people go, I don't need to do that much of that. Why? Because God's going to do what God's going to do. Here's the problem. Anytime you have a theology that is in clear contradiction to the word of God, then something's wrong about the theology that you did. So it's very difficult for you to take this position entirely and say, when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation, to be able to go, oh, wait a minute. So here's the thing. This is going to rattle some of your brains for a minute, but just hang on a minute. You say, so where do you believe? I believe they're both right. There's an element to God has in salvation. I don't believe God God chooses which people are going to... I believe that in the mind of God, God knows. On the other hand, I believe that it's my responsibility to tell people about Christ. You know, how can they both be right? I don't have a neat little bow on my box. But I can say, yes, yes, oop, that's extreme, no, oop, that's extreme, no. So... I understand that one day I will get to heaven and there'll be a neat little bow in the box. But I don't try to put a neat little bow. I'm not going to pigeonhole God into little boxes that I can understand, very simply. Now, for those of you who are like, you're, this is like your thing, like you're into this, okay? You and I can have fun. Here's why. I'll pick either side. I can argue them both. I can play devil's advocate to either one of the sides. And, I, and, and it's kind of fun. It really is. 
But you know what? In the end, in the end, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is we have an obligation to share the gospel. The bottom line is God died for everyone. And God wants everyone to be saved. You go, but that doesn't fit in the box. Okay, it doesn't fit in your box. You say, well, I believe this. Great, you can believe that. But here's what you need to know. As long as you're not going to take your little thing and try to convert everybody in a church around your little thing, you and I are going to get along fine. But if you decide that your little mission is to convert the church to a certain position, we're going to have a problem. Okay, we're going to have a problem. Why? Because you know what the focus is? The focus is coming to Christ. The focus is the glory of God. And we just don't want it to be decisive. So, enough said. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have no clue. I wish I had no clue. I really do. I really do. Um, Because it's a whole lot easier that way. Here's what you need to remember. When Paul's writing to these people, he's not giving them a theology lesson. Hebrews, theology. Romans, theology. 1 Thessalonians, he's just trying to encourage these people. He's just trying to tell these people to hang in there because they're going through a tough time. And he says, you need to remember this. God loved you. He chose you. He called you. He set you apart. And he's using you for his glory. So hang in there in what you're going through. And then he goes on. Now he's going to focus on, he tended out with God's aspect of how God sees them. Now he's going to deal with their part of it. Notice what he says next. Uh, Going on to the next verse, guys. He said, uh, verse 15. It's coming up. Hang on. There we go. Therefore, brethren. Notice what he says. Stand fast. Early in chapter 1, remember they were being shaken? And here Paul says, you plant your feet solid. You stand fast. And you hold the traditions which you were taught. Now, this is a problem word for some of us. Because when I say tradition, you think what? Thanksgiving, Christmas. You think Family traditions that you had year after year after year after year after year. That's not what this is talking about. When it uses traditions, this word that's used here, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the things that they were taught by Christ and the disciples and the apostles. He said, you need to hold fast to the things that you were taught. Because, see, people were coming along telling them to believe different things. And they were, some of them were gullible and they were following. And Paul said, no, 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 wait a minute. You heard stuff from us. You heard stuff from the other disciples. You heard stuff from the other apostles. You heard stuff that was taught by Jesus Christ. That's what you hang on to. And there are some things that Jesus did when it came to tradition. The traditions of men, he opposed. The traditions of the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, those kind of things, he embraced. And what he's saying here is, look, you hold on to, you, you, you grab firmly the things that you've been taught. Can I say something to the younger generation, and that means anybody under 35, okay? It actually is longer than that, but I'm going to draw the line at 35. Um, There is within your generation this idea of rejecting the old and embracing the new. And you're in a world of technology where you used to change. Well, it's interesting because one of the traditions, one of the, one of the trends that's happening right now in church is there is a, a desire for some of your generation to go back to the old ways. And that's not a bad thing. Um, 
There's a reason it works. And before you abandon something, you need to take a good hard look at why you were abandoning it. Um, you know, there was a time when it was, it was, I don't even know what the word is now. It, I was going to say hip, but that really dates me. Um, there was a time that you always bought new. And now we're starting to embrace some of the old things and this whole idea of upcycling kind of trend that's happening right now. Because here's what we're realizing. Things that were built a long time ago were built a lot better than they are today. You need to understand we're in a throwaway society. Uh, you know, I remember the days when, when a, I remember back in the 80s when I bought my first 286 computer for almost $2,500. And I thought that was like the best thing in the world. Now, um, basically, computers become things we put on the shooting range. Because after about four years, they're ancient technology. You know, people go, oh, can you fix it? I'm like, why? The parts I'm going to go buy, I can go buy a new one for that. Here's a problem with that. That may work in technology. It doesn't work for marriage. You don't throw a marriage away. You do everything you can to rescue it. That may work in, in a lot of other areas of life, but you know what? You need to be careful about jumping from job to job to job, 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 job. There's something to be said for stability. There's something to be said for hanging in there when it gets tough. There's something to be said for really weathering stuff. And we're in a culture which has abandoned that. And Paul said, no, 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 don't do that. You need to hold fast to some of those things, those ancient things that are at the foundation of your Christian walk. And then he goes on to say this, which you were taught whether by word um, or our epistle. He said, some of this you heard us say, some of this you've seen us write. And then he goes on and he finishes it out this way at the end of the chapter. Here's what he says, verse 16. Um, Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father. It's interesting. Most of the time, God's mentioned first and then Jesus. He mentions Jesus first and then God. And he says this, who has loved us. He goes back to this theme that you were loved. And given us everlasting consolation, everlasting comfort. These are people who are going through tough times. And Paul said, you need to understand, God is going to comfort you through this. But even more importantly, God is going to comfort you far after this world too. Because what you have in Christ is everlasting. That comfort is everlasting. It will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. In contrast to people in chapter 1 that he said they're going to face judgment. But he said, you, you get to experience everlasting comfort. And then he said, notice this, and good hope by grace. You have a hope that the world doesn't understand. You grieve, just like me, at the funeral of loved ones. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because I understand there's something beyond this grave. Comfort your hearts and establish you. This is the idea of a foundation. Those of us who spent four months out here digging in the dirt, we now understand the value of a strong foundation. It was not fun. We hated it. We were digging in dirt that 
we used Peyton's name in vain so many times in this project, it wasn't funny, you know, because uh, we let Peyton run the packer, and we never thought, just pack it once. We were like, just keep packing it, man. He just tooling around out there, and we're, we're hey, Peyton, hey, let's get another picture. Then we had to go dig in it. It would have been easier to dig cement than it was out there. And we're like, oh, let's just put another hole there. Oh, no, we got to dig another hole. We had to trench a line in order to dig a line with a backhoe. It was so packed so hard. We understand the value of it, though. We understand the value of it. And that's what he's saying. You in your life, you get a nice, solid, hard, firm, established foundation so that when those storms come and when that tough times come, you'll be able to handle it. And then notice what he says, because this is really important. In every good word and work. In other words, you live it out 24-7. So, let's talk about a couple of takeaways for us, and then we're done, and you go out and apply it for your life this week. That's between you and God. First thing. God loves you, period. Let me say it again. God loves you. Because you need to understand, when you go through a difficult time, Satan will hound your mind with the idea that God doesn't love you or you wouldn't be going through this. If God really loved you, he would. We just talked about this in Sunday school. Wasn't that what Mary and Martha said? Hey, look, God, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Lazarus wouldn't have died if you would have been on time. You show up four days after we buried him? You've got to be kidding me. But over and over again, the Bible says in John chapter 11, Jesus loved him. Jesus loves you. Just because you're going through a difficult time doesn't mean God doesn't love you. The crazy thing to me is sometimes, if you ever step back and think about it, this is going to do nothing for your heart, this is only for your head. How many times have you prayed for something? God, I want you to do this. God, I want you to do this. And God's done it. God, I want you to, I want to see you take care of this. Do, boom, boom. Yes, yes, yes. You prayed for days, weeks, months, years, and you've watched God take care of it. And then one day, God says no. And the first thing you do is point to it and say, God doesn't love me. Those of you who know my story over the past year, uh, my closest friend, Doug. Doug was diagnosed with... Um, colon cancer over 25 years ago. Came back four times. Actually came back five times. I remember the first time Doug got colon cancer and his kids were little, really little, like, like one, two, three years old. I remember our prayer. Lord, let him raise his kids. I remember when he came back the second time. Lord, Lord, help him get through this. Spare his life. I remember the third time. Lord, spare his life. These were daily prayers. These were weekly prayers. These were monthly prayers. I remember the fourth time, Lord, spare him. For 25 years, I watched God say, yes, 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 yes. The last time, God said no. And God took him home. Let me ask something. How fair would it be for me to look at God and say, you don't love me? Well, yet, that's what I struggled with. That's what we all struggle with. 
and we watch God take care of us, and we watch God provide for us and everything else, and then the second something doesn't go our way. If you're a parent, look, if you're a parent and your kid has never looked at you and said, I don't love you anymore, every parent, if you're not a parent and you haven't faced that, then you're doing something wrong. I'm just telling you. Because at some point a kid's going to look at you and because they didn't get what they wanted, they're going to go, you don't love me. Let me say this Have you ever looked at that kid and go, yeah, and I don't love you either? Some of you go, no, I haven't thought about that. Maybe that'll work. No, 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 don't do that. <laughs> they end up in like therapy for years and no, no, don't do that. You don't do that as a parent. Why? Because you realize that's immaturity. You realize that's anger. You realize that's frustration. You realize that's the normal part of parenting. And you know that one day, hopefully, they'll grow up and figure it out and understand, no, you really did love them. Just you had to do some tough things. It's no different with God. Sometimes God has to allow things into our life for his glory that we don't understand that are really tough for us. It does not mean he doesn't love us. When God's inattentive, it does not mean he, it does not reflect his love or concern for you. And I just want to remind you that whatever you're going through right now, God is there. He has the ability to help, but he may choose not to. Because there's something bigger at play that you may or may not see in your lifetime. Because as a believer, our lives are not for us. They are for his glory. And so sometimes he takes us through some tough stuff so that people can see Christ in the way we respond. Don't forget that. Paul reminds these people over and over and over again, God loves you. Now, mark my words. Satan will convince you otherwise. Satan will try to get your, your mind focused off of God and onto your circumstances. And when Satan can do that, he wins. When you lose sight that God is at work, then he starts to get a foothold in your life. Don't let him do that. Don't let him do that. He will beat you up. He will tell you that you can't live for God. He will tell you that Christians shouldn't act like you're acting. Blah, 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 blah. He will focus on what you are doing. Scripture and God always focus on what God has done and is doing for you. That's the difference. So when you start focusing on you and what you're not doing for God and blah, blah, that's Satan at work. Because the Scriptures constantly focus on what God has done. Is that what not what Paul just did here? He starts the whole thing by saying, God loves you. He called you. He set you apart. He's using you for his glory. He's, he, 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 has, he has chosen you. God is at work in your life. Don't forget it. Because he loves you. He loves you. You go, it just doesn't feel loving. I get that. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Second idea is this. You need to really know what you believe and why. You really need a solid foundation. Can you imagine six months ago if we said, hey, we're going to put up a new building. We got these bolts. We just shoved them in the ground. And then we went and we just put up the steel and bolted them into the dirt. And we came in and said, hey, we got the building up. There is no way you would sit in it. I mean, we had people working up here. We got guys who were going to come to church, and there's certain places they're not going to sit because they knew who was working on that section of the building. 
you know. I mean, really, you know, it's one of those things where, no, 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 what happens is, you, you know, you, you, you study the plan. Anybody who's been up here while we're working, you know what, you know what the ladies have to do every time? You know what they have to do every time? They have to take those entire tables back there and another table off the side are covered with plans. All the blueprints for this building. You know how many times we have sat and used those as, as, as basically as, uh, what do you call that, um, placemats? And read them while we were eating, trying to figure out how this all goes together? Why? Because the guys who built the building wrote the plans, and if we follow the plans, the building goes together like it's supposed to. Your life's no different. But here's the thing. Some of you don't, you don't see the value of reading this. You don't see the value of learning this. You don't see that. It's like, oh, I just don't have time for that. You don't, you don't have time not to do it. It is so important. And you go, well, you know, I'm not a reader. Look, you live in 2016. You know what that means? That means technology is your friend. You have an app that you can put on your phone that will read the Bible to you that you can Bluetooth through your car and you can drive to work and have somebody read the Bible to you and you don't even know how to pick it up. You're going, oh, that sounds really complicated. Talk to a teenager. They'll set it up for you in about three minutes. You know, they'll set it up for you. You can click on your computer. You can turn your computer on every day and there's a verse that pops up and you would be amazed how much God can get and use that in your life when you start going back to the blueprint, because the blueprints will help you get a solid foundation. It will tell you how to do business. It will tell you about your money. It will tell you about parenting. It will tell you about your marriage. It will tell you about how to handle your employer. If you're an employer, it'll tell you how to handle your employees. It will tell you everything you need to know. But we ignore it. And we wonder why our lives aren't fitting together like they're supposed to. Because we're not following blueprints. That's why. Last thing is this. It's not enough to know it. You've got to do it. He says here, and I think it's very, very important, at the end of this, in every good word and work, here's what I believe. I believe that if you're a Sunday morning Christian, the world, the world really has no respect for you. That's no different than me going to a club once a week. Sitting down at a golf course in a in a you know in a lounge or in a in a clubhouse once a week and talking with the buddies. That doesn't change my life. Coming to church, I'm thrilled you're here. I'm thrilled you're here. We're building another building so more people can come. Okay? But you know what? If all we do is come and go the same way we came in, honestly. Why would we get out of bed? Because it's nothing more than a social club. We come here, and, and see, this is what's bothering me about one of the church trends right now is, oh, your church needs to accept me as, you are, as I am. No, we don't. That's crazy talk. I don't expect anybody to walk in those doors and walk out the same. I didn't walk in here today to walk out the same way I walked in. I walked in here to change my life, to make my life more like Christ tomorrow than it was today. That's why I'm here. I expect that from everybody that walks in that door. Somebody comes in and says, well, you just got to accept me the way I am. No, I don't. 
God will always take you from where you are to where he wants you to be, if you're willing and obedient. But God does not expect any of us to stay the same. He did not die on a cross so we could be the same. He died on a cross so our lives could be conformed to his image and be more like him and less like the world. That's why he died. That's why he leaves us here. Otherwise, I mean, think about it for a minute. Otherwise, if the whole goal was just to go to heaven, it would be like, okay, pray a prayer, trust Christ, bing, you're gone. He puts us here so the world can see Christ in us. And here's what that means. That means that our words and our walk have to be different from everybody else out there. And some of you aren't going to like this, but you get over it. If it's in the Bible, if it's the Word of God, you have to deal with it. It's your problem, not mine. I believe as a Christian, you ought to talk differently than everybody else. I believe your language should reflect Christ and the Bible, not the world. You go, oh, you don't know the environment I live in. You don't know the environment I work with. You're right, I don't. But I don't read anywhere in my Bible that the Bible says if you're in a bad environment, you're allowed to talk like them. See, if my language is the same as their language, why would they want what I've got? Because what I've got is no different than what they have. One of the greatest examples of this, I was working with a guy, and if you know me, you'll, know, you'll understand and appreciate this, but I had a nail gun, and... I was doing something. Nail gun didn't, wasn't working right. It was hitting two nails at a time instead of one. It would bounce. I don't know if you ever had one of those happen. And um, it bounced, and it nailed my hand to the floor. That wasn't a bad deal. It was just, it, it was stuck. I had to pull it out. The guy who I worked with was not a Christian. You know what he went back and told his relatives? Not that I worked with a stupid pastor, and that's not what he said. It's what he should have said. But he said, I watched a guy nail his hand to the floor, and he didn't cuss. Now, I, I, you know, I grew up in a home where that was not acceptable anyway. So it was never part of my struggle. It was never part of my world. I worked in a lot of environments where a lot of people got. But for me, it was one of those things where, and I never realized that something that simple could have that great an impact. Your words should be different because you're a child of the king and we represent him, so we speak differently. We also walk differently. That means our actions are different. Here's what that means. That means that when that cashier goofs up and flips on that little light to get the manager who's at the back of the store who doesn't see the light come on and you're standing there you handle it differently than everybody else. That means that when that parts manager orders the wrong part for the fifth time and you want to give him a piece of your mind, here's what you need to remember. You don't have a lot to give away, so hang on to it. No, you need to handle it differently. You need to look at him and go, you know, I guess we all mess up. You know, what can we do to try to get it right this time? See, I get, I, get on these, I get on this thing trying to make it applicable, and then God, like, pushes my button, too, so I'll go there. You need to drive differently as a Christian. 
And those of you who know me know that is a really tough place to go, all right? Um, but we do. We do. We need to, we need to handle it differently. Look, I'm a firm believer in this. You need to tip differently. Have you ever thought about this? You go to a restaurant, that person is going to serve you your food. That person is going to clean, there's going to be a person that's going to clean up after you. And there's a person that's going to clean your dishes. And all you have to do is show up. And all of those people are going to wait on you. It's going to be all about you. And you go, here's a dollar. Thanks for that $50 meal for the seven of us. Seven, that's seven bucks a piece. That's a cheap meal. Um, you know, that's a cheap meal. You need to tip differently. You need to tip differently. Why? Because we represent the king. Because we represent our savior. The world has no respect for a Sunday morning Christian. But you know what? The world really struggles with a 24-7 Christian. The world really struggles when they look at you doing things differently than they do it. The world really struggles when everybody's telling the dirty joke and everybody's standing there listening and you're the person that walks off. The world struggles when you're the person who says, hey, um, we're not going to do that, I'm going to go do this. Teenagers, hear me. You have more say than you think you do when you stand up to your friends. What my wife was talking about with these little kids is no different. You go, oh, teenage peer pressure is tough. Let me tell you something. I would give anything to go back to teenage peer pressure. Because adult peer pressure, that's a different ballgame. You know, when you got a boss who's asking you to do something wrong and you go, can't do that. You're working a job, and everybody tells you to stop working so hard because you're making them look bad? We do it differently, not because we're better, but because we have a different drive and a different purpose and a different goal, and that's to reflect our Savior. So my challenge to you this week goes something like this. Paul reminds believers that God loves them. And he has not abandoned them. His focus is for them to experience God's glory in their lives. We need to ground ourselves in the teachings of the Bible and the teachings of Christ. And they ought to shape the way we live every single day this week. Because we're living for Jesus, not for ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's so easy to get wrapped up and squeezed into the mold of this world. Or it's so easy to think that we do it the way that everybody else does it because they'll listen to us and the reality of it is, Lord, they don't, they don't want somebody who's the same. They need to see somebody who's doing it differently. So, Lord, with our words this week, may people see Christ in what we say. Lord, in the way that we live our lives, may people see Christ in the things that we do. And Lord, when we have those tendencies to do it the way everybody else is doing it, may we really sit back and take a look at the way you say to do it. And when it is all said and done, Lord, we look forward to the day that people can see a difference in our lives because of you. So help them, Lord, to be able to see Christ in us and help us to live 
with you in our lives. And we thank you so much, Lord, for loving us, for choosing us and calling us and setting us aside. Now help us to glorify you. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together. And we're